Time Mule Pictures presents Time Mule Mike, Time Mule Gabe, Time Mule Jason. Jason! <laughs> Angela, <laughs> you look different. What happened? I'm dressed. <laughs> that's it, that's it. <laughs> Three incredibly eligible men hoping to meet some incredible perfect women. So many women, so little time. So little time. Now, at last, they're about to find that one little surprise will sweep them off their feet. <laughs> That's a baby. That's a baby. Of course it's a baby. It's your baby. No, not my baby. It's Jason's baby. The child doesn't look anything like me. I have more hair. I want to see the way you three big guys handle this one. I had to go to three different places to buy four different kinds of formula, two different kinds of diaper, bottle, towel, nipple. You do realize he did a doodle. Doodle. Doodle? Yes, doodle. I haven't been able to work or sleep, and there's been all over this place for days. I build 50-story skyscrapers. I assemble cities of the future. I can certainly put together a diaper. Will somebody please tell me what the hell is going on around here? Figure it out for yourself. Are they always this strange? Yes, ever since they got involved with a baby. Time Mule Pictures presents three normally intelligent men and one little boy. So, uh, what do you want to do? They're about to discover the only thing worse than raising him. Oh no, please, not on the silk sheets. Is losing him. We should be his family. Hey, let me tell you, the first time you hear daddy, I don't care who you are, your heart just melts. Can you drive a little faster, please? Time Mule Pictures presents a comedy about three dedicated bachelors. A ghost, what lurks in the background in that one scene, and the one thing in the world they couldn't live without. <laughs> Three mules and a baby. Guys, you know how I haven't been around for the last month or so? Oh? Like, I haven't been coming to the Time Mule meetings or our recording sessions. I haven't been answering my phone. I don't know that I've ever called you. Well, amazing news. I am the new host of an exciting new game show, Fruit Wars, on the Game Show channel. Oh man, I always thought I'd be the first one to get famous. Well, sorry old chap. But this star is on the rise. You want to see the uh, pilot episode? Oh, let's do it. It'll give me some time to reread some of my old emails. I'm taking an adult education class on multitasking at the local university. All right. 
And let me just pop this video cassette in. VHS. I believe there are easier ways to share video files now. Well, my boss thinks this is the best way to distribute screeners prevent piracy. Fair enough. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time for another. And here's your host, Gabe Mew. Good morning, good evening, good night, or whenever you're tuning in. You can enjoy Fruit Wars at any time because the fruits on Fruit Wars never expire. Are we ready to play? First into the gauntlet, it's Watermelon versus Peach. And... Watermelon wins! Okay, fruit fans. Next up, it's Kiwi up against Orange. Ooh. Is it hot in here or am I just under bright studio lights with no ventilation? Surrounded by barrels upon barrels of rotting fruit. Our writers, Chip and Walter, are hilarious. We're always totally dying in the production meetings. <sighs> that joke's a little inconsistent with what you said at the top. Shh! I wanna find out who wins! And aren't you glad I didn't say Kiwi? Cha-ching! Take that to the bank! Orange wins! Um... Do we have any grape or cantaloupe fans here today? Well, some of you are going to drive home a little disappointed. Because grape wins! Gabe, would you mind pausing for a sec? Yeah, let me find the remote. Okay, yeah, paused. What's up? Before we go any further, do you think you could explain the game a little? I'm not totally sure what I'm seeing. It's Fruit Wars. No, I know, but why did Grapes win the round? It won the fruit war against the cantaloupe. I saw that. Okay, so, uh, should I unpause? No, I, I mean, I saw it, but why did Grapes win? Because it won the fruit war against the cantaloupe. <clears throat> Let me interject. I see what Jason is getting at, Gabe. Why did Grapes win the fruit war? What was it about Grapes that resulted in Grapes winning? Because... Hold that thought. And why are grapes being compared with a cantaloupe? And are there contestants somewhere? I'm just not getting it. Look, this is the pilot. And I also think you two will catch on once you see a little more, okay? It's kind of a little more sophisticated than your average game show. May I continue? Yeah, let me see some more. Sorry we interrupted. And by the way, the production value is really something. Yeah. Game, everything looks incredible. And your voice, on the money. Really rich. Thanks, guys. Let's get back into it. It's time for tomato versus strawberry. Now, for those of you at home, tomato is in fact a fruit. So please do not send your letters. Capiche? You say tomato, I say strawberry because strawberry wins. All right, we got blueberries in the house facing up against <clears throat> poison berries. And when you know it, it's a victory for boysenberries. I'm sorry to do this game. Pause again. What's up, Mike? Is it based on taste? Or what? Which fruit wins? Are you saying that boysenberries taste better than blueberries? Oh, I would never say that. Taste is subjective. And I'm allergic to boysenberries. Deathly. I could literally drop dead if I ate a single boysenberry or touch a boysenberry. I get highs if I think of boysenberries sometimes. Shit. Look what you made me do. It's happening again. Gabe, that's got to be in your mind. But refocusing here, 
if it's not taste or people being polled for which they prefer, um, I'm really just trying to understand. D do the audience members have little clickers under their seats or something? You're really hung up on the rules, aren't you? Not very badass of you to focus on the rules. Last time I checked, rules were uh, meant to be a broken. Oh, badass. Are the fruits fighting? Like off camera? Are you crazy? How would a fruit fight another fruit? That's bananas, Mike. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that, I swear. I gotta write that one down for Chip and Walter. But the show is basically naming two fruits, and then you say which one wins? That's a very simplistic view. Well, what else happens, goddammit? If you guys stopped interrupting, we can allow for the excitement to wrap up. Jesus. Let me fast forward to the lightning round. Oh, I like the sound of a lightning round. You would. You're way more badass than Jason. Again with the fucking badass comments. Welcome to the lightning round. Imagine, if you will, two sides of a coin. On one side is a raspberry. On the other, a green apple. Now, if I flip this imaginary coin, one would expect the apple to be face up. Apple wins. Okay, okay, hold on. Please pause it again. Can we watch my show in peace? It just feels like you're gaslighting us. I don't even know what that means. The, the lightning round, it, it, the, the same as the rest. You're naming two fruits, and then one of the fruits wins. And? Honestly, it's the same exact speed as the other shit you showed us. Who said anything about speeding up? Look. I'm sorry you two Gen Zers can't sit still long enough to watch a simple 140-minute game show episode. 140 minutes? That's like 50 minutes longer than Rashomon. You're just picking the best of two fruits over two hours an episode? I couldn't list fruits for 140 minutes. I'd run out of fruits! Well, a pomologist, you are not, Jason. Let's just do now showing. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. The production values are through the roof on this thing, really. No, no, no. You two have made your point. Gabe, Gabe, put that down. And you really do sound amazing. But put it down, Gabe. That was a gift. Yeah, okay. Let's go ahead and talk about this dumb movie. The chocolate bars and the candy So let's all go to the lobby To get ourselves a treat Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Gabe, are you sure you're okay to do this? Yeah, let's just do it. Let's just go. Alright. Hey, welcome to Now Showing. I don't think I've ever done one of these intros. So what we watched was, I think, 1994's Ed Wood, Tim Burton. 94, that's crazy. I was a freshman in high school. But I love this movie. I didn't know it was with me that long. Um, yeah, so it's kind of a famous movie. I kind of needed a pick-me-up. This is one of my all-time favorites. I've seen it a lot of times. Um, you know, sort of Johnny Depp. As what some people call the worst director <laughs> in history, Ed Wood. But uh, hopefully I can convince you he's not the worst director in history. Uh, then Martin Landau as a Dracula star. Bella Lugosi. As Dracula Man. And Sarah Jessica Parker. And uh, Patricia Arquette, who I was just watching in Severance. 
And uh, well, it's just a fantastic movie. Also, Bill Murray, not a huge role. I think, if memory serves, this was a... F- maybe... I don't think he started doing, you know, sort of lost in translation, Wes Anderson roles yet. I think this, in my mind, this was the first time I remember him doing something that wasn't the wiseacre uh, Peter Venkman character <laughs> yeah, uh, that I grew up with. Yeah, Rushmore was until 1998, so this was kind of like yeah, a little, uh, quite a bit before that. Yeah. What do you do? You're, I think Jason's more dialed into uh, Bill Murray. What was the earliest that you've... Because we, we go back and watch The Razor's Edge, but I didn't know about that till I was like 28 because that movie was just erased from history. Right. Razor's Edge would have been around the same time as Ghostbusters. Um, I think Ghostbusters' fame and money allowed him to do that. And then the only other thing I can think of, which is sort of... It's it's sort of like in between the Wiseacre, Peter Venkman, and a more artsy role would be him playing Hunter S. Thompson. Oh yeah. And where and where the Buffalo Roam. Um but yeah, I think that as far as straight up kind of character actor, um, more of a downer kind of part, this would be one of the first instances of that. And you know, Johnny Depp, sometimes actors will play a part and it requires a lot of work to get the voice just right. Yeah. And Ed Wood, it's just a really great, consistent, not Johnny Depp sounding voice he does through the whole thing. But he didn't keep that voice. But when he did Fear and Loathing, I feel like that is now his modern <laughs> voice. Is, is the Hunter yeah, S. Thompson? He took out like that's the character I want. He to took be. the cue from Hunter that's... S. Thompson. It doesn't. Didn't he like try to make his life like Hunter S. Thompson? After he like, hung so. out with him. I don't think that's too hard, though. That's not much of a challenge. It's also not a good idea. <laughs> he's, not really a, he's not really a role model, is he? Yeah. And, well, it's like Jeff Bridges, after he did The Big Lebowski, he's just the dude yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. You know? He's like, I like this guy. <laughs> but, yeah, so for this movie I read, um, I only read it recently. And, you know, it just made sense to me. He studied... Um, you know how uh, Ronald Reagan spoke, Casey Kasem, kind of like that. And like, what he, I think Johnny Depp called, uh, he was inspired to put this in the Ed Wood, like his uh, something like unbridled enthusiasm, like when Ronald Reagan <laughs> would give speeches, like, we're going to bring back America. You know, it's just like this wide eyed, <laughs> starried optimism. Yeah. The voice was pretty great. Uh, it just uh, the way he delivers lines just jewels into your head. Um, you know, he's saying like, "I'm the best guy to direct Glenn or Glenda." The guy's like, "Well, what are you a fruit?" He's like, he's like, he's like "Nope, I'm old man." I even fought in WW too. Of course, I was wearing women's undergarments under my uniform. You gotta be kidding me. Confidentially, I even paratrooped wearing a brassiere and panties. I'll tell you, I wasn't scared of being killed, but I was terrified of getting wounded and having the medics discover my secret. So you think this qualifies you to make my movie? Yes. As far as I know, this was this is what he said in real life. This was a claim he'd make in, at parties and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I want to know how much... I mean, it feels like all of it's absolutely 100% true. I, I don't know if they yeah. embellished that much. Like, all these people's lives were significantly more miserable than in the oh, movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, 
in the movie, I always thought like the movie Edward, like he had to make his own stuff because he wasn't going to get a chance otherwise. So he might have wanted to be a director, but maybe he wasn't a great writer and he had to write his own stuff. But I think in the, uh, you know, reading, I, I you know, read this uh, biography, Nightmare of Ecstasy. That's a it's a really title. great book. Yeah, it's such a strange Ed Wood-esque title, too. That, uh, like, you know, I, he was just a heavy drinker, and people wouldn't hire him because he was really hard to work with. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's something kinda... they admitted from the movie <laughs> already. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, no, it's just his life was a lot more miserable, I think. Bella Lugosi's character was a lot more in real life, but you know, it, the movie to me is, uh, oh, the, uh, the Orson Welles character said it perfectly. Like, when are you going to spend the rest of your life making someone else's vision? That's what Ed was. He was like, look, I have nothing to lose here. I'm just going to go forward and <laughs> live my life the best I can, even though life keeps throwing me garbage. Yeah, yeah. this movie... It's, it's pretty inspiring. Yeah, it's a very good message. It's like this can-do attitude. It's like don't stop no matter what obstacles are in your way. But, like, it's also a little sad to think about, like, you know, it, it didn't really go anywhere. Like, you know, he, he did stay true to himself to a certain point. And then, you know, even at the end of this movie, like, they had, like, a little scroll of what became of them. And it's, like, not it's almost horrifying what happened. To, but, you know. Yeah, the last chapters in this book of his life are just so sad. It's just so, it's like a, uh, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a warning. Like, don't, don't do this, folks. <laughs> but, um, it, it's another one but, of those, I've been watching. I'm not on purpose, but I've been watching a lot of like Hollywood will like chew you up and spit you out type of things oh, lately. Yeah. Like yeah, just yeah, yeah, not intentionally, yeah. like just happens that that's just what goes on. And I'm like horrified, but uh, uh, like this movie, I mean, we've all seen this movie before this, oh, yeah. this podcast, right? Jason, you've seen it before. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. <laughs> like, I I grew I grew up watching it. I think just like you two, like as soon as it came out on like VHS, we were like rented it, and this really stuck with us the entire, you know, uh, since we were young. But this is like, I almost want to say, is it, do you think it's Tim Burton's most underrated movie? Nobody really talks about it. To me, it's my favorite Tim Burton movie by far, and it's not a Tim Burton. Esque movie. No, it, it is. He actually takes a lot of what Ed Wood did and put it in the movie. Yeah, I, like the Faye, the wipes. There's like actual wipes in this, but they're really cheapy looking. I also love. I love it. I also love that he used models, like for just like yeah. city scenes and stuff like that. It was really, really well done. Models was like a running thing in Tim Burton movies for a while. She had it in Beetlejuice. Mm -hmm. I remember I, I, I made the connection a long time ago. There's definitely a, a couple more where he used, like, tiny models. Yeah. It feels like a Tim Burton movie a little bit because it's dealing with, you know horror genre and aliens and things but the 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 look of it the 
tone of it, the script, which I know he didn't write, um, is is more like a Coen Brothers. I was about to say the same thing. It's kind of like a Coen Brothers movie. And, you know, I hadn't, I realized that, um, I think I was telling Mike this the other day, but when we were, you know, it was time to watch it, I went to my movie shelf and I went, okay, time to pull Ed Wood off the shelf, but I don't own it. But I just assumed that I did. And then I started watching it. And I just assumed that this was something that I've watched recently, but then I started to think about it and I probably haven't seen it since, you know, I was in my early twenties, probably. Um, I, I probably watched it in high school and then in my early twenties and that's it. So there's just a lot of things that hit differently seeing it now. Oh, yeah. um, so there was one, one thing was um, I hadn't been to California before seeing this and there were just certain things that just felt very like, Oh yeah, that's, that's that vibe of that kind of bar, you know, like that. I, I can picture what that is, you know, or this looks like the way the sun would be on that, that, that time of day kind of thing. It was just captured mm. so well in black and white. Yeah. Um, it was a pretty 1990s black and white too, which I think it, I yeah. mean, it must, it was definitely on film, but I don't know, just something about when they didn't black and white in the nineties, I just thought it was the best looking thing. It just ever. looked better. Like you could yeah. conceivably transport yourself to the 1950s. If they tried to do that today, it, it just doesn't work. For it doesn't. Reason. Yeah. It doesn't work with like digital, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that California thing, I've only been to Southern California. It was my first time this summer. And the movie made a lot more sense to it because, listen, sorry people who love Southern California. We're having a disclaimer. You know it's not going to be great. <laughs> hey, am I perfect? No. I live in the New England Rust Belt. Could be kind of ugly here. But, uh. A lot of Southern California. It looked like it had its heyday maybe 75 years ago. (laughs) Like all those like buildings they showed in Edward, like that downtown. It's still there, but it looks just like no one cares about it anymore. Because, you know, people move out. Even even in the East Coast, people don't live in city centers anymore. It's like the city centers are kind of dingy. If either of you guys come up to New England anytime soon, you have got to see the new town i live in the city the middle of the town it's like it's kind of like 1980 alternate 1985 back to the future oh no (laughs) but there's a but yeah but there's like a special southern california vibe to it and i always think of that um neighborhood where bella lugosi lived it reminded me a lot of like the cool like what i think i'd probably live in like little bungalow houses and stuff like kind of like to where you live jason too it's like that design that looks i don't know southern california do you guys know if that was an actual um location or is that was that that was an actual location yeah i feel like it's an actual because in the okay yeah because in the movie in the movie they used did they mix the real footage of him with the flower with you know what i don't i don't know because like uh, here's the thing martin lando did an amazing job as playing Bella Ghost. He sh- he sh- did he win an Oscar for that? Yeah, yes. best supporting actor. Oh, I was about he to did. say, like, I was telling my girlfriend, was like, he, he should have won an Oscar for this. Because <laughs> even when they're showing the footage of uh, oh, what movie were they watching on Halloween, I, doesn't matter. Like, they're watching... Oh, White Zombie. Yeah, White Zombie. Like, actual footage of Bella Lugosi. And you never think it's like, oh, it's two different people. Like, he embodied freaking 
Bela Lugosi so well. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. My great, they did in the movie because there was that scene at the beginning of Plan Nine, where it was uh, Bela Lugosi smelling a flower. That was just not for the movie. Ed mm-hmm. Wood was just trying to make Bela Lugosi feel better and say, "Yeah, we're gonna do a movie. In fact, let's shoot a scene now." And it was a Super Eight camera. I mean, their relationship in real life was kind of was kind of sweet, but they were both trying to get something out of each other at the right. same time. Uh, in fact, I uh, right before this, watching YouTube while I was eating dinner, and I saw the interview when Bella Lugosi got out of rehab, and uh, and it was kind of chilling because he said, um, "So what are you gonna work on next, Mister Lugosi?" He's like, "Oh." I go to a work on a film called uh, The Ghoul Goes West, uh, directed by Eddie Wood. And I was like, ooh, because that movie's not going to happen. That's a movie they mentioned. Uh, the Ghoul Goes West. <laughs> Dr. Acula. <laughs> All right, let's shoot this fucker. Great. You know, there was pretty 90s about this go? movie, about kind of like they kind of made a joke about... Uh, Edward wearing, you know, he liked Angora, so he liked dressing as a, as yeah. he says, dressing like a, dressing like a lady. But it's like, it's just something he did in real life. In fact, you know, a lot of his friends, his first wife was played by Sarah Jessica Parker, would go on and say like, nah, I, I had no problem with that. Like that was just the, their, their, their group of friends. And he was like, nah, I had, right. it was his drinking that drove me away. Like, <laughs> yeah, I wonder why they like, didn't. Hey, everyone's got their thing. Put that in the movie. I think it would have made a little more sense. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's tough to, like, paint somebody who lived in real life as, like, somebody who had a problem with that at the time, you know. From what I remember out of this movie before I watched it again, it was like, I I was a little worried about all that stuff, you know. We lived in a new time. That was 1994, you know. Uh, And, you know, I I think it handled it fairly well. (laughs) I I don't think they were, like, pointing fingers and, like, making fun of people, you know. Yeah, and he he was... He and he, I think the way he explained his feelings were done mm-hmm. tastefully because he would just say, Yeah, I, I feel good wearing women's clothing, it, you know. Yeah, and then also yeah. you saw that he had this, you know, family of, right. of all the people that work on the movies and the people that are somehow involved that didn't bat an eye. It wasn't like a thing where he was ostracized. Maybe right. some people raised an eyebrow the first time. You know, he would show up with the sweater and the wig, but then everybody was just, you know, that's that's, yeah. that's fine. Yeah, they come in contact with it was like the cameraman, or when he had to meet with a like a, a, a one of those low budget studio owners. It was only when he went outside that circle, people were like, what the hell is this guy's problem? But uh, yeah, people in that uh, Bunny Breckenridge, who was uh, Bill Murray's character, he the real Bunny Breckenridge was really super rich, so he was out proud and you know he had money so he's not like <laughs> he has to get a job or anything so he was kind of like the core of their group in fact a few of those guys just lived at his house because they didn't have any money he had tons so yeah yeah and i saw that um there's a kind of a weird thing on his wikipedia where um gore vidal gore vidal uh approached approached him and you know to write a book about him and he ah. but he, he didn't but it turned out the book wasn't really about him, and it w- it's what became of Myra Breckenridge. So it was like it was like right, slightly, title. slightly influenced by his life. So when the book 
came out, he wasn't very happy that he, mm. you know, used him as a jumping off point. So have either of you two seen any of the movies talked about in this movie? I saw Glenn or Glenda, which I really like because uh-huh. it's, I know he was making it with whatever he had. And it was really, if you watch it, you could see like, yeah, he just found, uh, you know, stock footage. and was like, I could make a whole movie out of this. <laughs> and there's just, there's that part with Buffalo running in the movie. He's just like, <laughs> Hey, I have the stock footage. Gotta use it. I want people to see how I could direct. I always thought it was like a demo tape, but it looks just like, like, um, maybe something you just show in the background of a band play, <laughs> but it's more interesting than the band. I'm like, what the hell is this movie? That's how I found man, yeah. Shut up. Stop playing. I want to watch this. Yeah. I was at a show and they're playing Suspiria in the background. I'm like, what the hell is this movie? This band <laughs> stinks. What is this? I remember, um, one Halloween, you know, browsing the video store and is a, it was a point in my life where I had already seen Ed Wood and I saw plan nine from outer space on the shelves. And I thought, Oh, this is supposedly the worst movie ever made. I'm going to watch it. Right. And, uh, popped it on and it's by no means the worst movie I've ever seen. It, it definitely I've seen ha- worse movies. It definitely has stuff going for it, you know? And, and uh-huh. uh, I think, but I think you, knowing the story of the making of it that we see a bit of in Ed Wood, that kind of gets you in on it a little bit more. So it's a little mm-hmm. bit more engaging from that perspective. So I don't know how I would have felt if I had just seen it without any context. Yeah, I've seen Plan Nine, and it's not. I mean, like, it, I don't feel like it's any worse than any other movie that came out in the '50s that was like a B movie, like. Yeah, that's true. I, I think it's actually done pretty well, considering. The, uh, I had to look it up. Um, when he meets Orson Welles, I'm like, that's totally Pinky in the brain. That's totally <laughs> oh, Pinky. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> same guy. It was the same it's, guy. It's, it's the brain. <laughs> but I don't know why they did that. Cause that I, I bet Vincent D'Onofrio. Like Vincent D'Onofrio do. is kind of like a well-known guy. And plus, if you, I've always said this. If you say... Hello, Orson Welles. Me as a viewer goes, oh, that's Orson Welles. He doesn't need to go, hi. There was something really satisfying about that, but I know what you mean because it just doesn't look natural. You could just tell it's not his voice. It didn't no. sound right either. His like voice was on another track. I'm a filmmaker and a real big fan. I, I just wanted to meet you. My pleasure. I'm Orson Welles. I'm uh, Edward D. Wood Jr. What you working on? Well, the financing just fell through for the third time on Don Quixote. Do you know I can't believe it? That sounds just exactly like my problems. It's the damn money, men. You never know who's a windbag and who's got the goods. And then they all think they're directors. Ain't that the truth? Do you know that I've even had producers recut my movies? I hate when that happens. And they're always trying to cast their buddies. It doesn't even matter if they're right for the... The way they lit him and every... You know, I think the resemblance... I think has a lot to do with the lighting actually. Cause I don't, Vincent Bonafrio, I think has some facial similarities, but not really, but just the way they cast the, the light on his, like they, they gave him citizen Kane lighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's true. I didn't think of that. That's really, that's really clever. I yeah, That's actually really great. Cause that whole bar scene was so much darker than the rest of the movie. It was like, yeah, that's cool. God, man. Like n- now that you mentioned that, Along with all the other shots and the way that like Tim Burton 
made this movie, it was really brilliant. This is like I, one of his best. Like, do you, do you remember? Oh, go ahead. No, no, it's just like, I mean, obviously, I love you know like Edward Scissorhands, Beetlejuice, but like, is this something that's just from a filmmaker's perspective? This is really, really good. Yeah, I thought it was note perfect. You know. Yeah. Like it just ev- everything hit. There wasn't there wasn't a bad scene. There wasn't a bad shot. It wasn't even a useless scene, really. No. There, like, you know, sometimes you watch a movie and you're like, oh, that could have edited that out. There wasn't a bad yeah. extra in it, you know? Like, every no, costume yeah. was perfect. Every every face that they cast just kind of felt right, you know? Music was, was beautiful. Like, um, one scene about the car and it goes, ooh, a spook house. <laughs> and that car they were in, that skeleton car, that was so, like, dead on... Uh, Tim Burton. Yeah, the eyes with and the swirls like, in them. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, well, this is Nightmare Before Christmas. This is like a... <laughs> it was perfect. That was, I felt that was the bit... that I was... When, when we were watching it, when that car pulled up, that was like the biggest stamp he put on it. Like a personalization. Yeah. And it was, and it was yeah, great yeah. because it was just the thing that someone outside of the Edward, Ed Wood universe would have made. So he kind of had... He yeah, had a right. free hand with that. Yeah, I was thinking like this is my uh, last night. I had like you know, Edward, Vampira, Bella Lugosi, Tor Johnson, the wrestler, <laughs> uh, played by George the Animal Steel, <laughs> and uh, Bunny Breckenridge, and uh, what was it? Who's the fortune teller? What's his name? Uh, Criswell. That's like that's kind of like my Avengers or my <laughs> uh, League of Justice League, you know, or my X Men. Like, because when they're like all out on a mission, they're all there together. It's like they are like a, a sup- some kind of like my version of a superhero. Like I'd want these when they're stealing that octopus. <laughs> <laughs> like where are all those guys going together to break into a warehouse to steal that octopus? It was fantastic. You know, I was thinking, um, I can't confirm this, but the age I was when that movie came out, you know, I was early teens or pre-teens, and um, the thing that probably would have attracted me to that movie was seeing Bill Murray in the trailer. Yeah. Because I I just had an automatic one, please, like if there was a Bill Murray movie. So I feel really lucky because that, seeing that at that age just kind of opened up a lot of things for me and like made me want to look for different things um and yeah and, and you know and bill murray not a ton of screen time but uh everything he did he is very it yeah it's, it's very memorable yeah like when he was getting baptized there were a few <laughs> there are a few shots that i remembered like very clearly one was uh seeing bella lugosi's um reflection of his arm in the um rear view mirror in the car and the track marks. I just remember seeing that, yeah. but I remember Bill Murray's face as he's being pushed back into the water. Just the, the look he has on his face. Just like <laughs> it looked exactly as I remembered it. <laughs> he comes up. It's like he's lost all his cool. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord, brother. Do you reject Satan and all his evils? Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost.
How do you do it? How do you get all your friends to get baptized just so you can make a monster movie? It's not a monster movie. It's a supernatural thriller. Oh, I had one. I had one more quick thing to say, um, just because this ties into our show. But the first movie we watched for this was um, what was it called? Um, I do not remember. God damn it! It was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We should just edit in someone's. It was, it was, it was like the nothing, seven nothing lasts forever, ago, right? Yes, nothing oh, lasts yeah. forever. So the music in that was by Howard Shore, uh, oh. as well as this movie. And then I was watching Ed Wood, and I thought, I think that um, maybe Tim Burton had seen that movie. Yeah, because I because think it's like a more so it's like a more realized version of Nothing Lasts Forever. There's just certain things like tonally and the looks of certain things and certain pieces of that nostalgia that he was grabbing from, you know, that I just felt there was a, some kind of a connection. Yeah. Kind of that first one we watched. This will probably get cut out, but <laughs> it kind of reminded me of that weird movie um the guy from Oingo Boingo did, and like uh, Hervé Villiché from uh, Fantasy Island. Forbidden Zone. And Knickknack. Uh, was it called The Forbidden Zone? Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. I remember that was shown behind a band too. Which was <laughs> like, I want to, what is this? But the guy from Oingo Boingo really just makes me uneasy, so I don't care about <laughs> it. Just, uh, well, isn't, it, isn't his, his brother, the Boingo brother made it? Or is it the or is oh, it the I guy from Boingo Boingo? I don't know. Danny Elfman. <laughs> Are we talking about Danny Elfman? Yeah, I might be. Am I? <laughs> the Ooh, guy the from Boingo Boingo. He's so he's super famous. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Ugh. come to think of it, it be the wrong. Come way. to think of it, nothing. Um, nothing lasts forever. Um, Ed Wood is is an exception to the rule that Danny Elfman does the music for Tim Burton he, movies, right? Yeah, he didn't do the music for this one. I noticed that right away. So what, I mean, final thoughts, like, Mike, you chose it. What would you just, just lay it on us. What do you think? It's like a thing. Every time I see it, I find something new I love about it. It's in, it's, it's just springs eternal. Why I am reminded of this stupid joke where an Irish man asks a genie for a pint glass that, Always refills itself. Uh, well, <laughs> if I were to ask a genie, I'd say, make me a movie where something new pops up. Look, I lost the trail for this. I like it. And uh, there's still strobe lights behind me. No, fantastic. Just, just watch it. And you've already watched it because you're watching it along with us, right? That, that's what we want people to do. But we don't know if they oh, actually best do scene, it. The one where uh, Bela Lugosi's in that you know little pool. He's <laughs> kind of talking. They're setting up the camera. That's the thing you could watch over and over again. <laughs> and um, his wrestling of the octopus. That, I mean, uh, it's you know it's acting in a movie within a movie, but the actual uh, like Martin Lando wrestling that <laughs> octopus that can't move. It's incredible. And the way Johnny Depp was looking at him in awe, it was kind of the way I was. I'm like, he's making that inanimate octopus look like it's wrestling him. 
Yeah, that look Johnny Depp would get where they're filming something that's clearly not working well, and he is just in love with what he's seeing. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> there's nothing better to think about. And cut! That was perfect. Mm. Time, Time you First, they had these things called friends with benefits, and now they got these porch pirates. I don't know what these things are. Back to you, sweetie. Thanks, Grandma. Coming up next on the Chase and Grandma News Hour, ever wonder what happened to the baby the Time Mule guys raised? Well, he's here in studio. That and more after this break. No clicking. No clicking. What do you mean there's no Sears anymore? Where am I going to dance? Hi, I'm Dick Van Dyke. If you're like me, you love to dance only the way a 98-year-old man can. Very unsteadily and causing an uneasiness in everyone at the mall. This Friday, there's a very important election. If you would, please, please vote yes on item 33 on the ballot. This gives federal funding to Sears department stores who are going the way of my old friend Paul Lind. That's right, Gonzo. Where else will my wife film me dancing around like a hobbled fawn? Where else can we buy braided belts, a mana washing machines, and tough skin jeans for our husky sons? So, remember folks, vote yes on item 33 this Friday. Oh, and tell them Dr. Mark Sloan from Diagnosis Murder sent you. 68 years ago, Mike, Jason, and Gabe received quite a surprise on their doorstep. It was a baby! And boy, did we love the antics that ensued. Well, as he got older, the fans demanded more, more, more. And Hollywood came a-knocking. Little baby Time Mule went on to co-star in the original Our Gang stroke Little Rascals comedy shorts as Little Mickey. Let's take a look at a clip. Hey, mister, give us that toy. Hey, what are you kids doing? No, come on, give it to us. Hey, you kids come back here. Fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, Baby Time Mule himself, Robert Blake. <laughs> Mr. Blake, thank you so much for joining us. Hey. Three mules and a baby, our gang stroke little rascals, TV Beretta, Lost Highway. It must have been a wild ride. Yeah, you bet. But it wasn't always glitz, glamour, and glissando, was it? Nah, those time mule pricks stole all my little rascals' dough. Now, now, these are serious allegations. And to tell his side of the story, please welcome Time Mule's Mike. Whew, well. Hey, Daddy. <laughs> Wipe that shit-eating grin off your face, you little mutt. Okay, okay.
Everyone knows we follow the rules of civil discourse on the Chase and Grandma News Hour. What say you, Mr. Blake? Oh, uh, where's my do-re-mi, daddy-o? Your do-re-mi. You sunk every nickel you earned from the little rascals on those cheap Chilean pornographic Archie comics. Forget this. I'm going to Carlo's Pizzeria to shoot some people. You can't do that. That's a family restaurant. You ain't never seen a family there. All right, we all know where we're here. Jason, what did you learn today? Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Come on, man, you gotta go. Uh, gosh. Um, remind me what happened in this episode. Oh, Jesus Christ, you know what I learned today? Time is money, all right? You gotta stop wasting time on this shit. Yes. Time is time is time mule bucks. Yeah, time mule bucks. Mike, what'd you learn today? Uh, that the largest worm ever found was in South America in 1967. It was 21 feet long, and it was about the uh, uh, had about the girth of a uh, was round as a quarter. Oh my God, Mike, that was brilliant. Yeah. It was a little long, but I'll let you pass. It's true, Jason, you gotta learn from Mike. I came prepared. He's got facts right up the tip of his head. I'll do better next month, I promise. Uh, all right, fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna mark you down for this. All right, that's your that's your second strike in the year, okay? Uh, that was strike one. I did good today. All right, everybody, good night. And here's your host, Gabe Mule. <laughs> yeah, show business. All right. <laughs> that, that improv isn't going to make it. <laughs> good morning, good evening, good night, and... Or, oh, fuck.